Hey folks, welcome back to the Agency Freedom Podcast. We help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. I'm your host, James Jenkins. This is episode 64. My guest for this episode is Andrew Carell with Security Scorecard. Security Scorecard exists at the intersection of next generation cybersecurity and handy dandy tech for the insurance industry and anybody else uh, who cares about cybersecurity and good risk management practices. This is one of those nerdy episodes. Andrew is my kind of people. I really enjoyed our conversation, got a lot out of it personally. Uh, And if you enjoy a more nuanced and tactical conversation, this is an episode you're really going to enjoy. Uh, The the dialogue is is just heady and meaty, and there's lots of actionable takeaways from this. Security Scorecard seems to be a really cool company from what I can tell. So let's dive into this episode without further ado. We'd love to see you in our Facebook group. Just search for Agency Freedom in the search bar. Uh, love to get some more engagement there. Uh, for the people that show up and participate, uh, it is great, uh, but there are literally dozens of people that are active in that group and thousands of you listening to this podcast. So let's get some more uh, folks over to the group there, shall we? That's it for the ask in this episode. We're going to jump right to the content for episode 64 with Mr. Andrew Carell with Security Scorecard. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. There are two kinds of people in the insurance industry. Those who are captive and those who are free. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Captivity can go far beyond the companies you represent. It starts between your ears and its impact is felt in every corner of your business. We're all about helping agency principals and sales professionals reach your maximum potential and flex your freedom. If your goals are big enough, you're gonna have to get uncomfortable to be able to reach them. Our team at RiskWell is living this out every single day. This show is where I share our successes, our failures, and everything I learn along the way. We deliver relevant, tactical, and actionable content from industry peers, innovative partners, and a variety of leaders from other business verticals. We're not holding anything back. There's no upsell, no guru pitch, and no fluff. It's time to unshackle yourself from captivity and make your freedom jump with the Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. Hey folks, welcome back to the show. I am glad to bring you a guest from outside of the the normal uh, ecosystem of insurance industry folks. Uh, My guest for this episode is Mr. Andrew Carell, and uh, he and I uh, our LinkedIn connections. Uh, he's got some cool things going on, as we will talk about here uh, on this episode. But this is literally the first time that Andrew and I have ever spoken directly, ever been face to face digitally there on the computer screen. Be nice if we were face to face. You're only about four hours down the road from me in Austin. Yeah. Uh, but Andrew Corral, welcome to the show, hey, man. Thanks, James. I appreciate you having me. You know, one of the things that I find myself going back to time and time again on uh, AFP is simply looking for cool people that are doing cool things. Uh, most of that is inside of the insurance industry. Um, there's a lot of stuff that is 
you know, tangential that is, you know, somewhere in a, a parallel track that has overlap and has utility for our audience and honestly just stuff that I find interesting because, hey, it's my show. I get to, I get to indulge my own curiosity sometimes. Uh, that's where you come in. You really do, you know, meet all three of those objectives. Uh, you, you are intersecting with the insurance industry, uh, but you're also doing some really cool stuff uh, with the InsureTech community and, you know, cybersecurity, as we'll talk about with Security Scorecard. Excuse me, I've got my hand on the mute button here because I'm still dealing with an upper respiratory infection. It is not COVID for those of you that see me in an airport. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, if I uh, seem to disappear for a second or two, it's because I'm hacking up my lung over here. So anyways, why don't you give us the the intro, man? What is your, uh, what's your backstory, kind of how you got to this point in your career and uh, maybe some tidbits about, you know, what you're into and what drives you, man. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I'd say like many people in the insurance industry, uh, either get here by accident or by family connection. Uh, I got here by accident. Uh, so I, I got started in the insurance industry uh, about 10 years ago, mostly doing cyber insurance underwriting for tech and life sciences companies, you know, kind of small, small startups, mid-market type companies. Uh, did that for a number of years across the major carriers uh, and then took the leap into the intratech startup world. Uh, I was with a company called Vouch for a year building um, some of their insurance products there from a product development perspective. Uh, and then I found myself current day working with uh, Security Scorecard, which, as you mentioned, is is kind of this interesting intersection between technology, cyber insurance. Uh, so really just a, an awesome platform uh, to enable kind of this next generation of cyber insurance underwriting, um, you know, supplementing what, what information we're gathering um, through independent agents and, and underwriting organizations. Um, and that's kind of, you know, my, my, my professional background uh, some fun extracurricular stuff uh, down in Austin, Texas, me and my buddy Dave Bettis. We are the, uh, the kind of co-founders, managing directors of uh, an organization called InsurTech ATX, uh, which is really looking to foster the, the insurance and InsurTech community in the Austin area, kind of bring and point a spotlight on, on some amazing companies doing work there. Um, and then also just kind of, you know, when I have some time, uh, you know, like the podcast, mostly uh, startups in, in risk management, shows called Beyond the Policy. Uh, so kind of taking conversations away from what's considered insurable risk. So things that you can't buy insurance for that could very well sink your company if you, you kind of make make the wrong turn. Uh, so those have been some fun, mm -hmm. interesting conversations on, on companies that are making it and, and, and still trying to find their way. Man, I, uh, I'm definitely going to go check that out. That sounds exactly like the nerdy stuff that I, I like to geek out on, you know, going deep into a policy form and, you know, figuring out where the, the utility of the policy ends and, well, time to get into some actual risk management. How, how much does it annoy you when people make the, the cognitive jump to think that insurance and risk management are interchangeable terms? Because I see that so much in the marketplace where the, the, the policyholder, the, you know, the person in the, the networking group or whatever, they almost act like the two are the same thing. 
Yeah, I mean, to me, I look at it as kind of a, an opportunity to have a, a deeper conversation. You know, I, I think insurance, I mean, it's a, it's a tool, you know, it's a, it's a financial yeah. tool. And like any financial tool, it's not inherently bad. It's not inherently good. You know, some people, you know, poo poo on credit cards and, and taking on debt and things like that. And then it's just inherently bad. And it just really comes from, you know, an opportunity to educate where, you know, maybe some, some people are using a tool that in a way that it shouldn't be used and therefore think it's bad. Um, so yeah. it's, you know, when I look at it, you know, Insurance is a risk transfer mechanism, uh, but with insurance and just risk management in general, you know, there's three peers, uh, three pillars that, that are, that are taken into account there and insurance is one of them. Um, but to your point, uh, definitely not interchangeable and in understanding where it is on the spectrum. Um, but you know, if it, if it wasn't for that, you know, you and I probably wouldn't have jobs that we get to do all these fun things in. Yep. Uh, so you know, yeah. look at it as an opportunity. Now, I think there is an almost universal, uh, almost universal. I can't think of any situation where this doesn't apply to someone who's operating in the retail insurance agency space. It's, it's a natural evolution of sorts where, you know, early in your career, when you're just learning the nuts and bolts, the rules of the game, you know, terminology for your licensing exam and and the basics of product knowledge, like, hey, this is a deductible and this is, you know, coinsurance and different valuation methods and, oh, comp versus collision, general liability versus professional liability, blah, 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 blah. You know, and then from there, you learn the, the sales and distribution side of things. You know, what does it mean to market and sell an insurance product? You know, how do we run a, a business based on the delivery of a promise instead of a tangible product that you can hold in your hands. Everybody starts there in, in, the, in, in the industry, but then inevitably you either cease with your development and your evolution or 100% of people move through this evolutionary process where you see insurance as simply a component of a larger ecosystem of risk management. And you said it yourself, it's a risk transfer mechanism. I use the phrase risk transfer vehicle. It's a vehicle to transfer risk, to use hand gestures. You can't see me right now, but to minimize and transfer as much risk as possible to a third party. Insurance is nothing but a mechanism. And when you, when you graduate almost from selling a product to understanding the product, to selling the product, to realizing, wait a second, there's so much more than just this insurance product. That's when you, so it's almost like you, you know, move into the next phase of your career when you start advising on more advanced topics. You start getting into more, you know, cognitively uh, dense and complex uh, conversations. And you really become a professional at that point. Up until that point, you're nothing more than a glorified, you know, stadium hawker. You might as well be selling peanuts or, you know, ice cold Bud Light yeah. uh, before that point. Yeah. So, any, any thoughts on that with this, this evolution that has to occur if you want to consider yourself an industry professional? Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely agree with that. I think it's, you know, incumbent upon all of us to kind of learn the ins and outs of, you know, what it is we're, we're doing um, versus just trying to sell a product to anyone who's going to pick up the phone. 
when you start getting away from the transactional approach and going into a relationship approach, uh, it opens up a lot of doors, right? You're, you're not beholden to, to one thing. Um, you can kind of think outside of the box and, and find solutions. There's always a solution, but when you're approaching it with, I've got this, you know, basket of products to sell, I'm going to make a solution, whether or not one exists or not, um, then, then, the, then, then the magic happens, you know, then you can get creative and you can really start solving problems versus, you know, I've got this thing to sell you. Uh, you might need it or might need 60% of it. Uh, but you know, here you go. Now I'm really interested to hear about the security scorecard side of things. Cause I'm a really big fan of cyber. Uh, I'm kind of a student of that product. I would consider myself somewhat of an expert on, on that vertical, that line of business. Cause you know, it used to be just a few years ago that it was nothing more than uh, a, a little giveaway endorsement on a business owner's policy or a, a package policy of some kind. And over the last several years, certainly the last two or three years, cyber's really come into its own as a standalone monoline product uh, that has robust third-party and first-party coverages. We start talking about system restoration and you know data breach protection. You know there are lots of sublimited coverages. Uh, we could just go on and on and on. I did a whole YouTube series on the nuts and bolts here, you know, from regulatory fines and penalties to notification expenses to actual system remediation, lost business income because you got hacked. And, you know, I have to, I have to just pause for a second. Uh, can, can we just indulge in the silliness of people saying on social media, I got hacked? It's like there's a very, very big difference between getting hacked and allowing yourself to uh, compromise your own password and be the victim of a phishing attack. Right. Getting hacked and giving away your password to a, a, a phishing landing page, those are two very different things, my friends. Of course. Uh, it's, it happens almost every week. Like just this past week, one of my relatively close friends in the industry, uh, she was all over Facebook saying, I got hacked, I got hacked. It was like, you didn't get hacked. You were the victim of a phishing attack. You gave away your password. You clicked something you shouldn't have clicked. You didn't get hacked. There's a, you know, people do actually get hacked. Sure. Well, where there is an active, you know, bad participant who is maliciously gaining access to someone's network and, you know, conducting corporate espionage or stealing proprietary information or, you know, downloading, uh, you know, pr pr protected personal data and selling it on the dark web. Those are actual real life hack events, data breach events that are only getting more and more complicated. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what are your thoughts on the state of you know, cyber insurance, data breach protection and whatnot? Then I'm going to ask a couple of really specific questions for security scorecard as a follow-up. Yeah, totally. Um, so, the way that I kind of look at where, where we're headed here, you know, I saw this, uh, saw this graph probably a couple months ago and it was plotting the sophistication of kind of cyber attack tools and the sophistication of the threat actor. And the sophistication of the threat actor 10, 15 years ago was very high. And the tools were very sophisticated. And so when you, when you think of the proliferation of cyber attacks, it's why they weren't 
as widespread as they are as they are today because these tools were these required very sophisticated individuals now there's i mean you can ransomware as a service is 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 a thing ransomware groups have customer support functions like they are real businesses now they have you know call center agents that are taking these 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 calls from people that they have hacked and they're working with them for a solution and and so not to say that the people creating these tools are not very sophisticated i mean these are very very high level tools but i mean i could probably go into the dark web and, and download these things i am not a security expert by any means but i can go and you know pay whatever dollars i need to and download these tools and just you know spray and pray as you will and and, and so that's what we're seeing is the 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 level of sophistication of the actual threat actors can actually be going down as they are today. And so more and more people are having access to um, these malicious tools. And that really coincides with what we're seeing in the cyber insurance marketplace is to what you alluded to earlier, you know, errors and emissions coverage and cyber coverage really started as lines of business catered to technology companies. So data centers and other software companies that were, you know, hosting these services on behalf of a third party. So cyber really started as a third party liability coverage. You know, you've got your manufacturers, you've got your your artisan contractors that were not using technology and relying on a third party. So when a breach happened, it was a liability uh, claim. Now, everyone is online. I mean, I would challenge anyone to find someone that does not have an individual kind of, as I would call it, a first party cyber exposure, where they're using some sort of online system that is critical to the function of their business. They're storing information on behalf of their customers uh, in, in the cloud. And so, I mean, even solopreneurs, individual handy people, like they're using the cloud. I mean, they have cyber exposures, whereas that used to be just taken down in hand notes in a notebook somewhere. Um, everything is moving online. And so those types of scenarios are what's really leading to the proliferation of cyber insurance as a standalone line of business that is, you know, increasingly becoming the number one concern of business owners across the world you know companies every year are, are surveying business owners and you know what are you what are you worried about what keeps you up at night cyber risk is number one for the last two three years um, and so all of those things coming together um, means that the cyber insurance market has to create products specifically for this and not have them bundled in to a business owner's policy um, you know, maybe a management liability policy. This is why they're standalone now. And I think it is so indicative of that fact that we see the stratospheric and absurd hardening in the cyber and, and data breach insurance marketplace. Like you can almost see it hardening, you know, in real time. Mm -hmm. Is I mean the application just in the last two years that I've been focused on cyber, you know, the application went from you know seven questions to you know now it's twenty, thirty, forty questions on on an, an online raider. Uh, my preference is Chubb. I really like Chubb's policy 
uh, I think of all of the mainstream carriers, Chubb's form is the most solid. Uh, it's pay on behalf of when it needs to be instead of a reimbursement policy. Their sublimits are really good. Uh, but Chubb's own application in the last two years has just ballooned to be, you know, significantly many multiples of what it used to be. They ask questions now about encryption uh, from end to end, at rest and in transit. They have mandatory uh, MFA. And I imagine before too long, they're probably going to have mandatory EDR as well, endpoint uh, detection uh, and response. Uh, for those of you that I'm sorry, I'm using acronyms that I yeah, should it's be an insurance you know, explaining. So a lot it's of people, <laughs> but a lot of people may not be familiar with some of the finer workings of this MFA multi-factor authentication, where you're required to have you know the text message sent to your phone with a security code, whatever. We all know this as agents, uh, but the insured may not be utilizing MFA through their entire operation. They almost certainly are not properly using encryption. Uh, protocols. And if you're not using a third party uh, IT provider, uh, the so-called MSP or managed services provider, which by the way, you want to talk about bad actors, the MSPs are are a shiny bucket of gold coins uh, for the bad actors. Because if you can breach an MSP, you don't just get the MSP, you get all of their clients too, uh, which is why MSPs have become almost impossible to write unless they're big. Yep. I literally, uh, just in the last seven days, we had an MSP. Uh, we finally got uh, a bindable quote from from ProRiders. And I was on the phone with, with Brian Thornton, who's the president of ProRiders. And I was you know, complaining that it had taken three weeks for us to get a quote back. But it was a really, really small MSP, like itty bitty, like 150000 in annual revenue, just an absolutely tiny MSP. And the premium was $25,000 for the the only one that we could get. And I was like, Brian, what on earth, man? Three weeks is not normal for you guys. And he said, dude, it's the MSP. Like they've become almost impossible to write really small MSPs. Minimum premium for this program was $25,000. Like, Brian, you're talking about almost 30% of this guy's gross annual revenue. There's 0% chance this is happening. He's like, Hey man, minimum premium. I'm not sure what to tell you. So it's like the hardening in the marketplace is just extreme. Uh, What's your take on that? And what can security scorecard do to help combat some of those negative effects? Yeah. So first part of that question, um, you know, back when I was underwriting, uh, you know, I did that from like 2012 to gosh, 2020, 2021. MSSPs were were really starting to come into their own as, as far as like the cusp of the hardening of that market. And you're absolutely right. Um, I mean, I saw a number of claims on MSSPs and it's exactly as you described. Like I, I like to call it, they're, they're the head of the Hydra. You know, you get that and you get all the tentacles. Um, and it's absolutely true. Um, and so not only are you looking at MSSPs, but you're looking at an aggregation of risk from the tools that they're using. So there's a a few different kind of remote desktop support platforms out there that are very popular among MSSPs. And those are also huge targets. So, you know, it's not even necessarily that it's a, it's a first party 
system problem where it's their own people that are vulnerable, which they are. Um, but you're also looking at third party exposure from a what tools and platforms are you using are they're absolutely vulnerable. Um, I mean, SolarWinds is a perfect example. Um, but even SolarWinds, it wasn't the SolarWinds platform that was breached per se. It was one of their third party vendors. They were breached and then you found a way into SolarWinds. And from SolarWinds, you, you know, get access to tens of thousands of endpoints. Uh, and so that's kind of the, the vectors that we're seeing. And so you'd ask me, you know, what would the security scorecard offer there? And so security scorecards platform was really meant or not meant, it was built, it was purpose built for CISOs and vendor risk managers. And so what it was allowing them to do is not only get a understanding of what their own kind of attack surface looked like, you know, we would like to, to think of it as a, what, what, what would a hacker see? What are the threat actors see? if they were looking at this network from the outside. Um, but you also get this understanding of what your kind of third party or what I call supply chain risk looks like. So you can see what, what do your vendors look like? What do your vendors vendors look like? And so, you know, when you start talking about MSSPs or, or big cloud service providers and, and SaaS companies, you know, we're, we're all dependent upon each other to a certain degree. And so when you think of it from a cyber insurance perspective, if I'm an underwriter, you know, I, I can bring up any cyber application and you're going to see a question. What are your top five most critical, um, your most critical vendors that you utilize, right? That's unstructured data. They're asking in an application. They're not storing it. There's, there's really no way to track this. We all know that that we've got probably more than five vendors um, that we rely upon in a business, um, and those might change from month to month. And so it gives you an opportunity to really look at this data. We're going, we're moving from information to data, right? Information is just yep. you know writing on the paper. You can't really do anything with that at scale. And so in the cyber insurance market, we're utilizing security scorecard as a way to kind of systematize part of your underwriting. You know, it's a trust, but verify. We're still yeah. working with this as a, a way to kind of start a conversation with an insured. Um, many insurance companies are not necessarily using this as a thumbs up, thumbs down. They're using it as a tool to supplement the data that they're getting from their conversations with their insureds. Hey, Freedom Jumper, are you looking to take your business to the next level? Who isn't, right? Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS. At Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, they understand the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing marketplace. That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique or outlandish they may be. With a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and guidance you need to see your agency succeed, Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't just survive in the competitive insurance industry. Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. Get started today. Learn more at nbsbrokerage.com.
and third-party vendors that are doing some sort of scrubbing as well. Um, And I had a really pleasant surprise uh, with Pro Riders just a few days ago. And I imagine this is something along the same lines of what you're talking about here. But Coalition, one of our carriers through Pro Riders, ran a vulnerability assessment of a a, a very uh, tech-sensitive company who's Mm -hmm. very savvy. Uh, who's in the insurance industry that uh, they came to me and asked me to uh, consider taking over their account from an insurance perspective. And they're a vendor here in the insurance ecosystem, so they understand uh, how things work. And I sent them this this threat assessment from Coalition, the carrier. It's like a 37-page report. And it's like, oh, we have you know these five things are medium threats, and these four things are critical threats. And I sent it to that vendor and uh, they said, oh yeah, we we actively monitor all those things. I don't agree that that's a major threat. That's an internal server, something or other. It wasn't even public facing. It's be difficult for a bad actor to, to get access mm-hmm. to it. But they were appreciative of that process. And that came direct from the carrier. Yep. It was like, well, what a pleasant experience to be able to go to a client and say, Hey, you didn't pay one cent for this, but I'm going to send you a threat detection uh, report and give you recommended actions that you can take to better secure your system. And it cost you zero dollars. Right. Is that the sort of thing that Security Scorecard is doing uh, at the insured and retail agent level, or is it something more than that? Yeah, at a very high level, that's what it is. You know, it's outside in view of your attack surface. And so it's kind of giving you, you know, an outsider's look at, at what we're going to find. And you bring up a good point. You know, that outside in view is not comprehensive. You know, I mean, that's not the end all be all. You're right. There could be mitigating controls behind the scenes that could, you know, that that unsecured network that, that we're looking from the outside. That might be a guest network that's segmented um, from the rest of, you know, your internal network. Or it could be a honeypot yeah. that you've got set up, right? There, there could be a number of different things. And so one of the, the big value adds from the security scorecard perspective is the amount of interaction that we want to have with, with our customers. We, we kind of think of ourselves as the Yelp of cybersecurity or using this as uh, a way of, you know, we're going to put your, anyone can go on and claim their security scorecard for free. Where we've got the data um, and, and we can put together these, these scores and the ratings, but really where the magic happens is the interaction between us and, and the, the individual business because they're going to come in and they're going to enrich our data in a way that we could never do just outside looking in. Um, they're going to come in hmm. and say, you know, actually, you know, we, we don't own that IP address anymore or we've got a mitigating control um, behind this or even better, hey, we didn't even know that we had that open and that was a vulnerability. We've gone ahead and fixed this. And so, you know, we've got a really intuitive, interactive process that, that we, we use with them from what we call a resolution um, for individual, you know, issues that, that we're, we're surfacing. Um, and from, yeah, from the, the insurance community, you know, brokers specifically, you, you talked about going to a carrier and, and getting this scan, right? But what did you have to do first? You had to go and quote. Yeah. You had to go and quote it. So in and a way, you're kind of. I have a feeling. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling. I'm about to make your point for you because the big negative with that experience with pro riders 
is, and and I don't, I'm not saying this to bash Coalition at all because, I mean, they're a great carrier. Good product. I I really like Coalition uh, for what they are. They're they're great. This is not me bashing them at all. But their their report of our insured resulted in a 60-day decline Mm -hmm. where they, they will not look at the account for 60 days. And I'm sitting there going, well, that doesn't make any sense at all. You guys gave us a report. We'd send it to the insured. Mm-hmm. The insured immediately, like within 24 hours, their CEO contacted me and was like, hey, uh, we did all the things that that report uh, you know, said we should do. Uh, let's uh, get them to take another look and give us a quote. Yeah. And I went back to providers and they said, mm, sorry, can't. They won't. It's like, no. That strikes me as an opportunity to improve the experience because if you give the insured actionable intelligence and the insured promptly acts on that intelligence, improves their operation, patches a hole that you told them was there, why are you going to penalize them with a 60-day waiting period before you'll consider quoting them? That to me doesn't make any sense at all. I could understand if it was a Hey, in order for us to consider you for a quote, we'll do a, a reinspect. Mm-hmm. And that same threat detection can be run a second time. And provided you have dealt with the things we told you to deal with, yeah, we'll offer a quote. And I'm sitting here going, well, man, if we had a vendor like Security Scorecard that we could do basically the same thing, mm-hmm. if not more comprehensive, but do it outside of a carrier engagement where we don't have to go to pro riders and get a quote. And I'm, I don't mean to you know pigeonhole pro riders as the compendium of resources here because there's lots of other providers out there, you know, at bay and cowbell and other things that, um, you know, pro riders has in their marketplace. I might add they, they, they'll give you a quote from at bay and cowbell as well as some others. I happen to think very highly of pro riders. But there's some limitations with interacting with the carrier. Whereas if you and I would have had this conversation a couple of, of weeks ago, Andrew, I very easily could have, you know, gotten access to security scorecard. I don't know where the monetization comes in for your business model. Um, but I'm sure there's a, an opportunity for retail agents to get on board the platform totally. and provide these sorts of services to their clients in a way that doesn't result in a carrier decline. And take away your ability to write business for 60 days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you, you kind of hit on a couple things, right? One is this idea of kind of taking back control of the marketing process for cyber. You know, in, independent agents and brokers ultimately, in my view, uh, kind of own that relationship, right? They're the ones who have yep. the direct relationship with the insured. They're the ones that are helping them find the most comprehensive and and best markets for their individual risk. And when you're going to submit a piece of business, you are working with the insurance carrier who is likely using a security scorecard or one of our competitors in the marketplace. Um, And so they're getting this information, you know? So it's like, well, why can't you see the answers to the test? before you sit down and take it and do it on your timeline, right? Because you're, you're talking about maybe, you know, 45, 60 days. James, let me ask you this. When you start putting together your cyber, uh, cyber submissions, whether it's for a new client or a renewal, what's your timeline? When do you start that process? 
generally, depending on the size of the account, if it's a really small normal account between 45 and 60 days, and if it's a larger account, either 90 or 120 days, depending on the complexity. Okay. So would you rather have this information kind of like the snapshot in time four months out when you start or 45 days when you're going out for the initial quote? What gives you the better... I mean, what gives you the, the better I, chance I would rather win? have it 365 days a year because it, from a prospecting perspective, and I'm sh- I, maybe you can help me out here. I don't mean to stumble over my words. What data points are necessary to run a, a baseline, just generalized uh, security scorecard? Do we need anything of an intrusive data data nature, mm-hmm. or can we just all- scrape publicly available information like mailing address and website and plug it in? Yeah, it's all it's all public facing information. Um, the way that we kind of categorize this, looking from a domain perspective. So when you're mm-hmm. thinking of an organization, they all they likely have an apex domain, which is their their go to. You know, when you see it on their business card, um, that's the way we we structure our data. So we look at apex domain, um, and then we're gathering data points. Essentially, we're we're scraping the entire public internet and we're attributing that information back to IP addresses. The IP mm-hmm. addresses then get attributed back to a domain. And then when we start to see maybe related domains or subdomains, we're grouping those all together. Um, and, and, and for someone like you who's looking for on behalf of an insured, you know, you're going in, you can um, type in their domain. When you talked about the, the how do we monetize this, any company can claim their scorecard for free. Always has been free, always will be. So they can go in and, and sign up for an account. They can get their information. When you start wanting to see information on behalf of others, that's when the monetization piece comes in. So, if I am wanting to evaluate my security or my my security vendors, my my technology vendors, I want to monitor their scorecard and understand what their posture looks like. And, and you talked about it from a 365 day perspective. You're absolutely right. You know, this is a, a fluid environment. It changes daily. Um, and so, yeah, people are wanting to monitor their, their partners, um, and understand like, you know, are they trending in a good direction? Is their posture increasing and, and becoming more positive or, or maybe they're trending in the wrong direction? Um, you know, that just, again, not to pick on solar winds, but you know, any, anyone who's following cyber probably knows them, but I would be curious to see what their, the vendor who was linked back to the initial breach, I would be curious to see what their scorecard looked like. Where was it trending? Hmm. Were they a, you know, an A or a B or were they a D? You know, I don't, I don't know. Um, but they could have been monitoring something like that just to, you know, have a conversation, right? Um, just because you're an A or an F doesn't mean you're guaranteed or not guaranteed to have a breach, but the likelihood hmm. starts to increase and, you know, maybe some scrutiny and some, some ideas. When you talked about that 60 day waiting period on quoting business again, um, you know, my, my view fundamentally insurance has to go from a purely risk transfer vehicle to a risk management partner. And that starts before you even quote business and it never ends. You know, you don't, you shouldn't be underwriting your business one day a year. You should be monitoring that business over, over time. And I don't mean to say that, you know, I want to see, you know, uh, continuous underwriting where rates are changing monthly or, or whatever. 
But what I mean is if you're monitoring your book of business over the course of a policy period, you're going to have some really good opportunities to build a solid relationship. It's like, hey, you know, Log4j, uh, you know, we, we noticed that you have a, uh, a detected vulnerability for that. So it goes from sending out a blanket statement, say Log4j is a problem. You may or may not have this in your tech stack, but maybe to we've identified a hundred businesses in our portfolio and we're going to reach out to them with targeted messaging and have that conversation to become a better risk. It's not to penalize, yeah. it's to fundamentally make people better. Now, is this an ongoing regular pinging of a set of queries for a given insured or is it just on request or is there some sort of automated thing happening behind the scenes where you can you know quote unquote subscribe to someone's updates where your system will at some set interval ping them again for a security scorecard and automatically notify let's say me as the retail agent mm -hmm. if i subscribe to abc company and their updates is your system going to go out periodically and hit them with a new scorecard and then update me. Yeah. Yeah. So let's think of this from an agent's perspective. You know, let's say you've got a hundred clients that you want to, you want to monitor. So we are, we're monitoring the internet daily. We have over 12 million active scorecards that we maintain daily. And so we've got over 120 different signals that we are listening for. There's a proprietary scanning technology that we've built and we're we're scanning these daily and i'm not saying every single signal is updated daily um you know what what we don't want to do is essentially create our our own um ddos attacks or direct denial of service we don't want to overload servers yeah. um with all these queries so some of them get updated monthly some of them get updated bi-weekly um it, it it depends so there's a a responsible cadence going on here, but scores are updated every day. And so hmm. if something within your desired parameters is changed, so for all of our signals, you can create basically a, a custom alert. Um, Cause maybe you don't want to get notified for every little thing, but you know, you've, you've identified a handful of things that are really important to your agency and you want to get alerts when something like that happens or something is observed or maybe score changes over a certain threshold. Um, and, hmm. and so you can set that up to where, where you get those alerts when, you know, in real time when, when they're observed. So there is a lot of risk in assumption. Yes. And one of the, one of the things that a lot of agents, a lot of my colleagues and it includes you, Freedom Jumper, listening to this podcast right now. If we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times we invite trouble uh, because we make assumptions on applications on behalf of our insureds. Uh, and specifically with cyber and data breach, a lot of those questions, the insured may not have the slightest idea how to answer correctly. Uh, MFA is something that stands out as something the insured is generally familiar with to some extent regardless of their level of sophistication. Um, when we start talking about, you know, EDR, uh, when, you, when you say, well, hey, do you have a, uh, an EDR plan in place? And they're going to say, the hell is that? 
You know, if unless you know it's endpoint detection and response, and you can have that conversation intelligently, uh, you may not have any idea what their system is. Uh, do they have end-to-end encryption? Do they have SSL certificates that are up to date on every page of their website? You know, asking these very specific questions is is mandatory. So, uh, Andrew, back to you and and security scorecard. I'm curious if these underwriting questions uh, has is your system in some way been aligned uh, to correspond to these common underwriting questions like do you require MFA uh, in in your system? Uh, do you have you know active monitoring or uh, you know threat detection uh, that it's active? Do you outsource your IT uh, system? Do you have regular patches and updates? Is your you know is someone monitoring your virus scan? Do you have a firewall at your office? You know these sorts of things are are these the 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 kind of questions that Security Scorecard is answering? Something that aligns with underwriting guidelines? Yes and no. Um, so I'll say that if a question, for example, multi-factor authentication, that's something that happens behind the firewall, um, unless you're utilizing our specific internal security product, our outside in scans are not going to be able to detect that. You know, I mean, that is okay. behind behind the veil, um, and we are not sure. we're not piercing that. Um, however, well, and that's where my level of technological understanding is betrayed because I didn't know exactly where that happens. Um, behind the firewall, that makes sense. Yeah, it, it, uh, so yeah. you you only have a certain amount of insight available, right? Uh, to use your behind the veil uh, description. Yeah, and so you know, I mean, you can you can think up fun proxies for this stuff. So, for example, um, Duo is a very uh, popular multi-factor authentication two FA solution, and so if you're monitoring a company. And you're able to see using our technology what their third and fourth party vendors look like down to the product level. You might see that they are utilizing Duo. So if you wanted to, you could make the leap potentially. This company is using Duo. We see that their network IPs are are making connections with Duo. You could make the leap. It says this company uses multi-factor authentication. However, it could be noisy, right? Maybe there's only a handful of endpoints that are using this. Um, so getting getting you know down to that granular level, um, if it requires being behind the firewall, uh, you know, outside in technology is not going to get you all the way there. Um, however, uh, when you you start asking the question of like, well, what are their 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 patching cadences look like? We can absolutely measure that. Again, we can see what types of products and communication that your network is making. And we know when a, a software is uh, has published an update, right? They're publishing that. We're, we're scanning all of this information to know when that, um, that patch is made available. And then we can detect on what the timeline is. Are you, mul- or, or, are you installing these patches at a uh, a regular cadence, or are you going 30, 45, 90 days out and not installing them? So it can answer some of those questions. Um, and, and yeah, so the kind of like 
my fun project um, at Security Scorecard is to take our extensive amount of information in our technology and make workflows around the cyber insurance use cases. So getting to build products that present our information in a way that an underwriter and a broker wants to use it. You know, we want to reduce the friction as much as possible. Um, and, and right now, our solution gets the job done in a very good way. But, you know, it requires some work to make that happen. And so what I'm excited right now is, is building those products to where it's like we have built a team of, you know, former insurance professionals and have great relationships across the industry. So we're having these conversations every day. Help me understand what your workflow looks like. Where are the shortcomings yeah. in, in, in your process right now? Like, if you could make wave a magic wand, what would that look like? Um, and we've been kind of entrusted and empowered to, to build those solutions, which, in my opinion, don't exist in the marketplace today that are purpose built hmm. for the cyber insurance community. You know, the two most uh, easily recognized use cases here that I, I can imagine just about everybody out there who's writing commercial insurance or wants to or wants to write more of it or you know, bigger accounts, more sophisticated accounts, or just wants to write more cyber. You want to talk about adding value to your existing book of business. If all you did was go through your existing commercial book and cross-sell the crap out of cyber and make sure that every single one of your clients either gets a cyber quote or signs a declination form stating that they declined to receive a cyber quote. You want to talk about action items uh, for you know my listening audience here. You, agent, producer, listening right now, there's your one single action item. Offer a cyber quote to your entire commercial book of business or require them to sign a declination form stating that they did not wish to you know, have one. And if they say, I'm not signing that declination form, then you simply send them an email saying, okay, fine, but I'm going to note in your file that we talked about this, you declined to participate and then declined to sign the form stating that you declined. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, I'm going to put it in your file anyway. So, you declining means nothing. <laughs> uh, so, I, I see really two distinct advantages here. The first one is for prospecting because mm -hmm. you can go and run that security scorecard report at any time of the year in someone's renewal timeline, outside of the renewal timeline. It doesn't matter because you're not talking about insurance. You're talking about their system and vulnerability for a subject that a lot of people are really, really aware of because every time a new news story drops of XYZ company getting hacked, actual hacked, not just victim of a phishing attack hack, you know what I mean from earlier. Uh, every time one of those stories hits, the general public becomes aware of it all over again. So, you're able to use Security Scorecard as a prospecting tool. But secondly, you're able to use it to help with your submissions with your underwriters and also as a retention tool for your existing clients to stick around more and for your underwriters to know if I get a submission from RiskWell, it's going to have this threat detection done on the front end. And that becomes part of your submission to the carrier going, hey, we utilize Security Scorecard. We've run the report and here it is along with our application for coverage. Do you think the underwriter might look a little more favorably on that submission? I sure do. And yeah, I can say as a former underwriter, I absolutely would. 
Um, you know, I mean, you, you talk about management attitude toward cyber hygiene. You know, if I see a very well-crafted narrative, you know, that that's one that I'm like, all right, they, they, they get it. I like it. Yep. What did we miss? We're getting ready to land the plane here, Andrew. Anything you want to touch on before we go? Um, I would say, you know, if we're talking about action items for, for the audience here, I would challenge everyone to maybe not become a cybersecurity expert. You know, I don't, I don't imagine that, that any of us are going to go out and get our CSSP designations. Um, that's hard work. Leave it to the professionals. However, as someone who is going to be selling cyber insurance, I challenge everyone to have a just enough to be dangerous uh, approach and, and knowledge base when it comes to, to cyber. You, you may not be able to, you know, tell me what the, the encryption hash is for, for AES or 256-bit, but be able to know what that means for an insurance policy. You know, it's yep. not enough to say, well, get MFA. Like, what, what does MFA do to help protect your, your insurance from an insurance claim? Be able to talk to that. And I guarantee you are going to be uh, ahead of 98% of, of all brokers out there. That would be my, my one takeaway is don't shy away from it and you, you shoot to the top. It's outside the scope of specifically security scorecard. But guys, gals, you really, really have to read your forms. You have to know what's in there and what's not in there. Because I'm telling you, I don't have hard data on this, but looking at the landscape and looking at the way the industry is going, I would, I would bet you $100,000 out of my bank account that in the next five years, the total number of commercial lines, E&O claims against retail insurance agents the single biggest driver of commercial lines E&O claims is going to be cyber and data breach. I don't think there's any doubt that that is the single largest E&O exposure that most commercial lines agents have because they simply don't talk about it enough. They don't understand it enough. And they're, they're scared. They're nervous. They're anxious. Maybe a little fearful. So instead of doing something about it, you just ignore it and hope that it goes away. It's not going away. No. There's no doubt about that. It is here to stay. It will become even more of a thing, just like EPLI was a decade ago. So anyways, that, that is my little soapbox moment. Yeah. Read the freaking form, man. Yeah. If it doesn't cover you know, social engineering, fraudulent transfer, phishing attacks, regulatory fines and penalties, lost business income from a cyber or breach event, what happens if your company, if your client's company can't operate because they were the victim of a breach event? What happens if they're down for a month and your standard policy has a cyber exclusion on the BI coverage, which it does. Go and read your policy. You're going to find a cyber exclusion on your business income coverage. Guaranteed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can't see Andrew right now, but he's shaking his head vigorously. Yeah. Yes, there is an exclusion in there. Yeah. And I mean, you're so, not, even, not even just BI, but I mean... Hell, directors and officers insurance, we're starting to see more of that carve out cyber. Um, and yep. yeah, so just, yeah, have a good understanding of what is and isn't in the form. Um, and then, yeah, from a security perspective, like make friends with a MSP in your area. You know, those are good partnerships to have because if your, your client isn't 
it doesn't have someone fully committed or at least hired to manage their security, you know, that's that's a good conversation to have. So, you know, when you when you talk yep. about making that 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 referral network, you know, start adding in an MSSP if you haven't already. I can't tell you the number of conversations that I've had with MSPs and MSSPs of hey, let's do some mutual back scratching here. We will assist you and your clients because the MSP themselves, they have a selfish motive because if their client has a great cyber liability and data breach insurance program, the MSP's exposure is reduced. So the MSP, the MSSPs out there, uh, they absolutely have an incentive to make sure that their clients are really well protected. Uh, So if you are crafting your talking points to those MSPs and MSSPs, so that, hey, you know what? We have security scorecard that we are running uh, to confirm the things that we're seeing. Uh, and we're also going to be taking care of the cyber and data breach insurance for all of your clients to make sure they're well protected. What does that mean for the MSP? It means that's not an exposure for them anymore. So, man, Andrew, this has been really interesting. Uh, what is the best way for our listeners to to reach out to security scorecard and investigate what it might be for them uh, to add uh, this tool to their arsenal. Yeah, I mean, website is securityscorecard.com. Um, you can reach out to me directly um, on LinkedIn, uh, Andrew Carell. Uh, pretty pretty active on there. Always always down for a conversation. Uh, so those are probably the the two best ways to to get in touch. Fantastic. I will put that in the show notes for sure. Uh, securityscorecard.com and a link to Andrew's uh, LinkedIn profile. Uh, Andrew Corral, Security Scorecard and uh, InsureTech ATX co-founder. Now, this has been really insightful, man. I appreciate you coming on and nerding out with me for a few minutes. Yeah, always. Thanks for having me. Good deal, man. That's the end of another episode, Freedom Jumpers. Make it a great day, boys and girls. We will talk to you real soon. Y'all take care. Thanks for listening to the Agency Freedom Podcast. Please subscribe to AFP on your favorite platform to get automatic updates with every new episode and help other people find us. If you like what you hear, please drop us a review and tell the world what you like best. Most importantly, please share AFP with someone you know who is still in captivity. They'll thank you later. Visit our website at agencyfreedom.com to get access to exclusive content and announcements. Join our community on Facebook by typing in Agency Freedom in the search bar. Send your questions, comments, guest recommendations, and favorite grilling recipes to us at podcast at agencyfreedom.com. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast, where we help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. Until next time, let's go. Hey, agents, listen to this. Listen to this. What are we terrible at? Think of it. Think of it. Really? We're, we're terrible at training, right? We're not very good at hiring. We're not very good. Terrible at firing, actually. Uh, terrible at creating process and some workflows. Terrible at technology and implementing that technology and even knowing what type of technology we want. And the list goes on and on. Now, listen, I'm an agency owner. And I, you know how it is to, to fix a problem. The first thing you've got to do is you got to admit you have a problem. Here's what you do. 
go to virtualintel.com. Check out what we do because we do all those bad things that you can't do. Really? And you may do one or two of them well. Good for you if you can do them all. Just want you to know you're in the minority. But if you can't do any of them good or you don't even want to do them anymore because it just takes too much mental power, then good for you for realizing that and give us a call. I'm telling you, virtual intelligence, that's what we do. And where we specialize in high-quality VEs, not virtual assistants. Look it up. Go to ChatGPT. Put in what's the difference between a virtual assistant and a virtual employee. Enough said. I don't have enough time to go on and on about all the differences on this 60-second commercial. But you've got time to search it and look at it. That's what we do. We deliver high-quality VEs. We mix the technology with it. We train them on the technology, give them and the technology to you, and you're off to the races. I'm not joking with you. You can call my agency at any time, ask for Lordland, and we do ask her, say, how fast are you able to do quotes? I've actually got a couple videos of it. That's right. We can do five to ten carriers in one quote in three to seven minutes. So you give me an auto quote, I can do five to 10 carriers in three to seven minutes. How are we doing it? We're doing it through the technology of virtual intelligence. Give us a call, check us out. You can ask for me personally, I'll do the demo for you. Who are they? Cast certified.